your heart and touches my heart. Amen? Amen. Thank you once again, Brother Rupert. Yes. It is a joy to see all of you here in the sanctuary of Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. And some of you might wonder why sometimes I will mention that you're at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene, and that is because there are people who join who uh, begin to watch the live stream at different times, and sometimes people are wondering what church is this if uh, they didn't start with us from the beginning of the service. Well, some of you might remember, you might remember that about halfway through COVID, I preached a message called The Mark of the Beast and COVID Vaccines. The Mark of the Beast and COVID Vaccines. Well, you might be interested to know that uh, that particular sermon has received almost, almost 280,000 views to this point in time. I never thought that that particular topic would draw so much attention. Well, now today we, we come to the message, How to Love and Deal with Difficult People. That is today's message. And uh, Christopher Wright, who is the author of The Mission of God, if you've ever read that book, Christopher Wright said, To dwell in love with saints above Oh, that will be glory. But to, dwell, to, but to dwell below with saints we know, ah, uh, that's another story. Right? You've maybe seen that quote different places. A few weeks ago, we began a study of Colossians chapter 1. And today we come to Colossians chapter 1, verse 4. Let's read it together in unison, shall we? This is the New Living Translation, and it says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Stop right there. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would help all of us to receive that which you would want us to receive, to experience, and to apply in our lives from your word the truths that you want us to act upon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. When, uh, when, I, when I came, when I came to this verse... And I read it. Afterwards, I thought, that's wonderful. That's wonderful that the Apostle Paul could speak of the love, the love the people had for each other in the Colossae church. That's great. But I stopped and thought, whether it was in the first century or now in 2023, how? How can you love and deal with difficult people? Come on now. Some of you, I'm sure, have wondered about that. 
How can you love and deal with difficult people? Are there, uh, are there some difficult people in your family? Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> a few yeses already. <laughs> uh, are you sitting beside one of them? Don't, don't answer, don't answer, please. Right? Uh, are there some difficult people in your workplace? <laughs> A resounding yes from several. Or at the school that you students attend. Most likely there are some difficult folks at work, at school. Are there some difficult people in churches? You better believe it. I'm not looking at anyone in particular at the moment. I'm just kind of <laughs> looking around so some of you later don't say, Pastor Nick, you were looking at me. I'll, I'll look at the camera number one. How's that? Camera number one. All right. Today's message is part one in a brief series that I'm calling How to Love and Deal with Difficult People. Now the truth is, whether you realize it or not, this topic applies to pretty much all of us. Because at different times, all of us have been difficult. Some of you were difficult this past week. Some of you were really difficult two weeks ago. Some of you, some of you are difficult probably today. And some of you will be difficult this coming week. I do not hear any amens. <laughs> but that is the truth, right? So let's consider, let's consider now some types of difficult people. I can't get to all of them today. That's why this is part one, okay? Some types of, dif some types of difficult people. Uh, let's talk about the first one. Number one, uh, this, is, this is in no order, no order, okay? Number one, there are very demanding, pushy people, loudmouths, bulldozers, bullies. I kind of put them all in one group. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, they, they are bossy, pushy, controlling, intimidating. Uh, they don't scare me, by the way. All right? They, they try to dominate most conversations. They make unrealistic demands on your time, your life, your schedule. They push, 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 and it can drive you crazy. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Do, do any of you know people like that? Yes. <laughs> oh, boy, I see those hands nodding. Yes, yes, yes. All right, all right. In our Holy Bible, King Herod, King Herod was a very demanding, pushy person. He was a loudmouth, bulldozer, bully type of individual. And I thought, how did Jesus, how did Jesus deal with Herod? How did Jesus deal with Herod? Listen to this. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 8 and 9, say this. They say, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question. Listen to this now. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer him. Jesus refused to answer him. 
Instead of arguing with Herod and trying to justify himself, Jesus remained silent. Jesus' lack of response teaches me that sometimes when dealing with very demanding, pushy, loudmouths, bulldozers, bully type of people, sometimes it's best to just be quiet and to verbally walk away without saying anything. Amen, said someone. Now that can be very hard to do because many times the natural response is they push you, you want to push back. You want to push back harder. But Jesus gives us a model here. He walked away, basically. Um, I'm not going to take time to give you more examples here, but the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul did the same thing with demanding pushy people, loudmouths, bulldozers, bullies. Paul, the Apostle, did the same thing. All right. Here's another type of difficult person, difficult people. Number two, there are very critical, picky people. I hear some, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, all right. Let's just examine some of the Bible verses that, that address this issue to begin with, okay? Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Why don't you read it out loud with me from the screen, and those of you uh, watching online, it's on the screen for you as well, okay? Together, do not judge and criticize and condemn others, so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourselves. And then the Message Bible for that same scripture, Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, Message Bible puts it like this. Read it together. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Whoa! Do you want that treatment? How do you deal with a very critical, picky person? How do you deal with them? I know someone would say, punch him out. No, no, that's not what Jesus wants us to do, okay? How do you deal with critical, picky people? Here, here are some guidelines. If you're making notes, number one, consider who is criticizing you, all right? Consider who is criticizing you? Oftentimes, the person who is critical of you is usually critical of most other people. It's not just you. Some people, some people have earned doctorates in various areas. Some people have earned doctorates in medicine. Others have earned doctorates in dentistry and engineering and theology. Uh, others have a doctorate in ministry, like our own Dr. Lisa Otar O'Shea. All right? But some people give themselves, some people give themselves a doctorate in criticism. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if some use their computer and make a nice diploma. Doctor of criticism. You probably know a few people like that. Right? All right. 
The simple truth, my friends, is in the long haul, in the long haul, critical people lose. They lose family and friends and often jobs. They do. They usually become very lonely people because no one wants to have anything to do with them. Because whoever they interact with, they're constantly critical. And so if someone is regularly critical of you, consider who it is that is criticizing you. All right? That's, that's step one to help us in this area. Uh, step two, secondly, ask yourself if the criticism is valid and learn from it. Right? Ask yourself if the criticism is valid and learn from it. In other words, become a better person from the criticism. Here's a little example. A few years ago, someone in our church said to me, Pastor Nick, there are a, a couple of people, maybe it was more, I, I don't, never knew for sure, but someone said, there, 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 there are a few people who are, who are critical of you and upset with you. I thought, you're kidding. How could anyone be upset with me? And anyway, naturally, naturally I asked, what were they critical of? And what could I do? Um, what, what could I do about it? Well, that person told me that when I go to pray, here was the problem. They said that when I go to pray uh, with people at the altar during prayer times or at the end of the service, they said that sometimes I would go to the altar and as I was talking or praying with people on occasion, I, I put my Bible down on the, on the floor of, of the platform, okay? So the, the, complaint, the complaint was, the complaint was that, that different times, you know, when I've gone to the altar um, during the various prayer times, the complaint was, you know, I would, I would sometimes go and, uh, and, and talk with or, or pray with whoever it was, and, and, you know, I, I would often usually be carrying my Bible, and, and sometimes I would put my Bible on, on, the, on the platform here, you, you see? And, and so that was the, the complaint. But by, by the way, by the way, just so you know, um, I'm not putting my Bible on the, you know, on the platform at the moment, okay? This is Pastor Lisa's Bible, okay? So... <laughs> Uh, no, it's a hymn book. It's a hymn book. For those of you who would want to complain to me about it, it's just a little demonstration, and it is the hymn book, okay? But anyway, the, the simple truth was that that was the complaint, that, um, that uh, I, I was being disrespectful to the Word of God because I put it on, on, the, on the floor, on the platform up here, okay? Um, so obviously, I, I did not mean... I did not mean to be disrespectful to God's word, but you know, I could see, I could see how someone could interpret it that way. So I sincerely thanked the person for telling me about the criticism, 
And I told that individual that in the future, I am going to try very hard to remember to put my Bible on the, to, put, to not put my Bible on the platform uh, floor, o- okay? It was a valid criticism, constructive, it was valid, constructive criticism, and, and I learned from it. I, I, re- I really did. In, in fact, in fact uh, this has always been a concern of mine. E- even, um, e- even, you know, where I normally sit here, I've been meaning, I've been meaning to get I mean, been meaning to get a little, a little table, you know, a little table so that when I sit here, I can put my Bible on here because normally I hold it in my hands and sometimes I thought, you know, it'd be nice if I just had a little table. Finally, finally, I brought a little table from home this morning uh, to, uh, to put my Bible on that table, okay? So please, hey, don't anyone remove my table, all right? Everywhere there are folks that move stuff around all the time, and my only concern about bringing myself a little table is that I'll have to hunt for it every Sunday. Now someone's going to deliberately hide it on me just to bug me, right? Not not you, uh, Mr. Chan Chung. Not you. <laughs> the point is, my friends, ask yourself if a criticism is valid. Learn from it and become a better person. Make sense? Okay, here's a third helpful idea in dealing with critical picky people. Third, this is a third for those of you making notes. Third is be patient with the critical person as you realize that there is a high probability that the very critical person has a very low self-esteem. Some of you are thinking, I didn't know you would know that, Pastor Nick. I know more than you think. All right? Uh, There are many people who, who don't feel good about themselves. Simple truth. And when they criticize others, their feelings of self importance and self worth temporarily go go up. You got it? There is a sense in which a critical person feels, feels like saying to themselves, hey, uh, I, don't, you know, I don't feel great about who I am, but, but look at the shortcomings. Look at the shortcomings in that person. Look at the shortcomings in that p- person, in that individual. Are you with me? All right? All right? So uh, be patient with the critical person as you realize that most likely they're wrestling with, with low self-esteem. Here's a fourth idea. Here's a fourth idea that can help you in dealing with a critical person. If the critical person claims to be a Christian, say to him or her, say to him or her, can you and I read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, then, then turn to it and read it. Those are the verses that say, um, technicians, why don't you put that ver- those verses back up. Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourselves. So it's appropriate to turn the word of God and say, you know, let, let's just turn to these couple of verses here. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The problem with pointing out a Bible verse or a couple of verses like that is, is that to a critical person, um, he or she will most likely say, well, you know, I wasn't being critical. I, I was just being honest with you. I was just being honest with you. People have a way of ignoring the word of God when it punches them in the face. Isn't that true? Come on now. All right. So I just gave you four ideas to help you deal with a very critical person. One, number one was, consider who is criticizing you. Number two, ask yourself if the criticism is valid and learn from it. Number three, be, uh, be patient with a critical person as there is a high probability he or she has a very low self-esteem. Number four, quote Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2. There are some other pointers that can help as well, but, but uh, I want to move on to the, next, to the next truth. All right? Here's a third category of people, of difficult people. The third category is the crybabies or chronic complainers, or discontented people. There's some slight variances there, but I'm just kind of grouping them all together, all right? Listen to what the Bible says about these truths, okay? Read it in unison with me from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, together. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And then look at James chapter 5, verse 9. It says, together, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Wow. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. My friends, crybabies, chronic complainers, discontented people get their feelings hurt very, very easily. They, they are thin-skinned, thin-skinned, and they whine a lot. Discontented people have lots of pity parties over all kinds of stuff. They moan and groan. Poor me, poor me. Sometimes they have what's called a martyr complex. They're chronic complainers. And they are never happy. Um, these, are, these are sometimes what, what is called the, nit, the nitpickers, N-I-T, not N-I-C-K. <laughs> the nitpickers, okay? They are picky, picky people. <clears throat> Some years ago, I was at, I was at a leadership conference uh, training, and Dr. John Maxwell, an excellent instructor on leadership, Dr. John Maxwell was teaching, and he told us of how someone in his church of 4,000 people who, uh, who after every sermon he preached in his church, he said after every sermon he preached, there was a person who used to send him an email, uh, an email stating 
uh, indicating all the slightly improper English he spoke or incomplete sentences he used or improper grammar he used. And, and Dr. Maxwell said uh, he, he had to be very careful not to let that guy drive him crazy. <laughs> Simple truth. Crybabies, chronic complainers, discontented people, disapproving people are highly critical. And your, your best, doesn't matter who it is, whether it's you, 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 you up in the balcony, viewers online, radio listeners, whoever it is, they, your best is never good enough. They always want more. They always want more. They tend to be negative, unpleasable. They tend to be perfectionists, although they themselves are in no way perfect. No way perfect. They love to point out your mistakes. And no matter what you do, it's just not good enough. The nitpickers. It can drive you crazy. Some of you are thinking of individual names as I speak this. Right? So how do you deal? How do you deal with a crybaby, a chronic complainer, a discontented person? How, how do you deal with these dear folks? Well, step one, number one, if you're making notes, listen for their need. Okay? Listen. Uh, by the way, this does not mean they're going to stop. doesn't mean, but however, it can help. Number one, listen for their need. Some people become chronic complainers in their family, at work, at school, in church. Some people become chronic complainers if they feel they are not being heard. Okay? And as I said, sometimes even when they are heard, they'll still whine. It's a fact of life. But anyway, listen to their need. Secondly, we're talking about how, how to deal with crybabies, chronic complainers, discontented people. Secondly, <clears throat> try to provide information that can help a person to better understand. Now just stick with me, stick with me. Try to provide information that can help a person to better understand whatever the situation is. For example, for example, <clears throat> someone might want to complain about the fact that this winter, we here at Rosewood Church are not having the western part of our parking lot plowed after every snowfall, okay? Someone, someone might want to say, you know, hey, that, that's, where I always, that's where I always like to park, Pastor Nick. Now it's not plowed, so, so I have to park in the other two-thirds of the parking lot. Yeah. Now, fortunately, by the way, we have not had, I have not had anyone complain about this issue, but if I did have a complaint, <clears throat> I would say this to you. I would say, my friend, at present, we still have a lot of people away from church, away from church because of COVID concerns and because of king convenience. Some people have gotten used to watching our church service online, and so at present we, we, we don't need about a third of the parking lot. Um, 
by the way, we, we currently pay, we currently pay about $2,700 or $2,800 per month for snow removal, dear treasurer, I believe. And if, if we had, if we had the western section of the parking lot plowed, it would cost us about $1,000 more per month for snow removal. And this doesn't include, it does not include salting when salting is needed to help prevent any of you from slipping. Salting is another expense, okay? And so we, uh, at our board meeting, our trustees, and Bill, Bill here is in charge of our trustees, we said, okay, let's, let's save some money by not having the whole parking lot uh, shoveled during, during the winter. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, yes, okay. Uh, but by the, by the way, those of you especially who are still away because of King Convenience, we want to welcome you back. I'd love, I'd love for us to, yes, go ahead, applaud. <clears throat> I'd love for us to have to shovel the last third of the parking lot, okay? We'll, we'll find that $1,000 extra per month to do it. You're worth it, you're worth it. So those of you who are still away because of King Convenience, <clears throat> come on back. Welcome back, all right? Uh, interestingly enough, uh, <laughs> I was attending the All Canada Church of the Nazarene Pastors meeting just the week before. It was online, online with pastors from across Canada. And uh, at one point, we, we were talking about the fact that across most of the country, only about half of the, half the churches have all of their people back. Or, or rather, I should say, most of our churches across Canada still only have about half of the people back in in-person worship since COVID began. And so we, we were talking a little bit uh, about that. And one of the pastors from Alberta, from Alberta, <laughs> said to me, this is online, he, he said, Pastor Nick, he said, uh, you, you need to stop making your, your live stream services so wonderful so that uh, if, if you make them lousy and there's a lot of technical problems, then people might be more inclined to c come back into worship. <laughs> That's what this pastor said to me from out in Alberta. <laughs> and, and I thought, here we're, you know, we're always trying to improve. And, and so uh, I, I don't know if that pastor sometimes listens or watches our service or what, but I just chuckled after his comment uh, during that meeting. A anyway, anyway, uh, my friends, by, by you or me providing, providing some information, okay, as to why, for instance, about the snow, why we are not having snow removal done in the west part of the parking lot, hopefully, hopefully you and others would understand and, and not complain, all right? Sometimes, whether it's, you know, the parking lot or other issues in personal life situations, sometimes providing more information is helpful. Does that make sense? All right. It still doesn't necessarily always stop the complaining, but it, it can help. It can help. All right. So we, we've talked about very demanding, pushy people, loudmouths, bulldozers, bullies, very critical, picky people, crybabies, chronic complainers. And uh, now I want to take you to a fourth, a, f <laughs> a fourth group of people. And that is the hidden agenda difficult people. 
the hidden agenda. Read with me Luke chapter 8, verse 17. It says, For all that is brought secret, I'm sorry, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Okay. Some of you perhaps don't know what a hidden agenda is. All right. How many of you know, now nah, I better not ask you, I was going to say, how many of you know what a hidden agenda is? Don't, don't put your hand up. Uh, I don't want others of you to feel bad if you don't put your hand up, okay? All right. <clears throat> Here is an example of a hidden agenda. And I won't hide this, I just need a little drink of water. Here's an example of a hidden agenda. In many workplaces, there's usually a supervisor or a lead hand, right? There's a supervisor or a lead hand who is in charge of a department. In hospitals, they often uh, have a, a head nurse for a floor or for the intensive care unit or some other unit then beyond the supervisor, there is a manager that the supervisor or lead hand reports to. How many of you work, have worked in situations like that? Just put your hand up. I mean, a lot of you have, right? Okay, so you get it. All right. <clears throat> now here is a potential hidden agenda situation. One day, an employee goes to the manager and says... Mr. or Mrs. Manager, our supervisor is away from work today. I'm concerned that our supervisor's absence is hindering the quality of our department's work. The manager listens and then says, thank you for your concern. Your supervisor phoned me to tell me why she has to miss work today. She has a very good reason for being away. Uh, she has your department operating very smoothly, and everything should be okay. Thank you very much for your concern. About a month later, the same employee goes to see the manager and says, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Manager, our supervisor is away from work again today. I'm concerned that our department's quality control with our supervisor being absent, I'm just concerned that our quality control really isn't what it should be. The manager looks at the employee and says, your supervisor had to stay home today to, to look after her two-year-old child who has a very, very high fever and could not be taken to daycare. Your supervisor had no one else to look after her sick child. Let's be understanding and patient. Someday, someday you might have a child that a parent has to stay home with. By this time, the, the manager has figured out why that employee goes to see the manager whenever the supervisor is away. That employee had a hidden agenda 
Can anyone guess what the hidden agenda is? You, you can probably guess what it is. By complaining to the manager about the supervisor's absence, she was hoping the supervisor would be what? Would be fired. Would be fired and that the complaining employee would be made the supervisor. That's the hidden agenda. Most managers would detect the hidden agenda. And it would be no surprise to me that if that same employee went to see the manager another time to complain about the supervisor, it would be no surprise to me if the manager says, my friend, you repeatedly complain about an outstanding supervisor. It is time, it is time for you to collect your belongings and go home. You're fired. You're fired. By the way, I understand that if there is a union involved, okay, the process would be much more complicated. I understand that. But essentially, hidden agenda people try to deceive. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Amen? My friends, sometimes there's very little that you can do about people with hidden agendas. But very often, very often, that person with a hidden agenda ends up being very sorry for what they tried to do. Right? All right. We've talked about very de number one, very demanding, pushy people, loudmouths, bulldozers, bullies. Secondly, we talked about very critical, picky people. Thirdly, <clears throat> we've talked about crybabies, chronic complainers, discontented people. And fourth, we've talked about hidden agenda, difficult people. Sometimes people who are very difficult don't mean to be, all right? They don't mean to be difficult. Other times, what some people do in being difficult, it's, it's actually sinning. It is very wrong. It's sinning. The good news is, the good news is we can be forgiven whatever sin or sins we have committed. That's the good news. We can be forgiven because Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and yours and yours and your sins, radio listeners, and mine. So we can be forgiven. We have been difficult people in God's sight repeatedly because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth is we have all been difficult. And the blessed news is if we confess our sins, he, the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
So no matter who we are, we can be forgiven and adopted into the family and the, the slate can be wiped clean and we can approach the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for my forgiveness. I want to ask you to bow your head. Bow your head with me. This can be the day when you receive the forgiveness that God makes available to each one of us. And if this prayer expresses the prayer of your heart, I want to ask you to pray it right where you are. Dear Lord, I thank you for loving me. Dear God, I recognize that I have been difficult in your eyes many times in my life. The truth is I have sinned. Sometimes I sinned unknowingly. Other times I sinned deliberately. And Lord, today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my shortcomings. I repent. I repent, dear Lord. I'm grateful today, Lord, to receive your forgiveness because Jesus, your son, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And so now I can be forgiven. I can be adopted into your family. I can receive your spirit and I can receive the promise of heaven. Lord, I receive all that you have for me and I receive your precious forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand, my friends? Would you stand? As we sing this beautiful song, some of you may want to come and spend a few moments in prayer at the altar. Some of you may want to come and, and pray for the Lord's help, for the Lord to help you in dealing, in dealing with that difficult person or persons in your life. Some of you may want to come and, 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 and say, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive that woman or that man that's been a pain to me. Sometimes we need the Lord's Spirit to help us to forgive people even though they might not deserve that forgiveness. So you come, you come, spend a few moments in prayer, and then, and then in a few minutes, we're gonna receive the Lord's Supper together.